So uh, before we read the first verse of Revelation chapter 9, let's read the last verse of Revelation chapter 8, which says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. And so uh, the idea is, is that these next uh, trumpets that are about to be sounded are going to be horrendous. They're going to be horrible. And so um, we talked about this last week, about how these upcoming judgments are going to be tremendously difficult. And, uh, and, and of course, uh, again, just reflective of the fact that we do not want to be living on the earth during this time, right? And I think when we go through the book of Revelation, it should be a reminder to us of the fact that we're not going to be living on the earth during this time, right? And uh, it's sort of a, I think for us, uh, that don't know the Lord, which I, I wouldn't say for us, for those that don't know the Lord, uh, hopefully you will know the Lord when you read uh, passages like this, right? And uh, for those of you that do know the Lord, that's for those of us that know the Lord. Well, listen, there's an excitement because, again, you're not going to be going through this. This is not something that you're going to be feeling or experiencing. So uh, looking at verse 1, it says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now, uh, this in the Greek, this has been referred to, this bottomless pit has been actually referred to as the abuso. It's been uh, uh, referenced as such. Um, and this is how this is uh, understood. Uh, but let's go on. We're not going to talk too much about the bottomless pit because, again, um, we know that the bottomless pit, at least we can, we can make an assessment that the bottomless pit is a place that is reserved for, um, for those demons uh, and, and not really necessarily for us, okay? And so, but, but again, uh, <laughs> you don't want to be there when the items that are in this bottomless pit cut loose, okay? I'll just say that right now. This is not going to be a very pretty picture that's going to be drawn for us. So look what it says in verse 2. It says, and he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, and as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. So again, this is just an ugly scene, right? The pit gets opened up. The smoke that comes out is, is brutal. By the way, um, I think it's, we can assume there's a reasonable assumption that's made here that this pit is something that is within the earth, right? That there's, there's sort of a bottomless pit that is here somewhere within the earth. We really don't know the picture of this. I can't really, uh, illustrate this for you exactly other than to know it was an area that was locked up previous to this right and now has been unlocked okay so um and it says and there came out of the smoke uh, locusts upon the earth and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power now uh just the idea when we talk about them having power as the scorpions of the earth have power um, most of the time when a scorpion uh, bites you or when a scorpion stings you, so to speak, uh, or let's just say this, more times than not in a larger percentage of scorpions that are out there, they don't necessarily kill you, okay? When they sting you, they just hurt 
real, real, real bad. They send excruciating pain to the body. Okay, their sting causes something that is excruciatingly painful, excruciatingly torture, uh, torturous. And so that's sort of the, the picture. So these are uh, locust-type creatures that have this kind of ability. I've actually, it's funny, when you read old commentaries and you sort of, especially commentaries that are dated around the time of World War II, and people describe what these locusts are. Uh, oftentimes they're calling these things like B-17s and, and you know, uh, B-29s. It, you know what I mean when I'm talking about? Like when you see those, those, these types of bomber jets are the ones that, you know, flying through the air and they've got the sort of the, the belly gunner, you know, and they've got that sort of long, I guess what you would say, that long gunner pipe, you know, where the, where the gun's coming out, you know, and they say that that gunner pipe is like the scorpion stinger, you know. Well, first of all, I uh, I have a I have a relatively strong conviction that we're not talking about something mechanical here. We're not talking about something man-made. Number one and number two, I don't think that it would be these airplanes because those guns kill whatever they shoot. Right? This is not something that kills anything. Uh, it, which actually you would sort of hope after reading this that you would die if you were on the end of this. Uh, but uh, that's not what we're talking about here. So it's kind of an interesting thing when you look at it. So. It says in verse 4, it says, And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. So, uh, again, uh, those that were not protected by the Lord. Now, look what it goes on to say. It says, And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And so, again, the picture of the the, uh, the excruciating pain that comes when a scorpion actually uh, strikes a man. And by the way, uh, so that you know, when a scorpion goes and bites a man, like I, like I said before, it's painful. There's not a there's no way to really describe how painful it is. None uh, suffice it to say that the the agent that gets released when a scorpion actually stings a man or bites a man is one that's designed to to mess with or damage or hurt the nervous system and so nerve pain of course is the worst pain that can exist within the body that's where the source of uh, you know pain signals come from as they come from the nervous system and when the nerves start beginning to malfunction and they begin to transmit pain signals to the brain it can be excruciatingly difficult it can be very 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 horrible and so uh, the bites of these scorpions would produce this type of pain would produce this type of difficulty would produce this type of hardship in man and look we're going to find out that these guys are going to want to kill themselves as a result of this type of pain right but they're not going to be able to do it it says this it says and in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them now this is kind of interesting you know you 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 have these people that exist in the world today and there are a lot of them that are looking for the answer to not die soon, right? They want everlasting life. They're looking for eternity on this earth, so to speak, right? They want to be able to be invincible. It's invincibility, you know? They want to be able to sort of uh, live forever. They're looking for the key to eternal uh, uh, eternal living, you know? Uh, what do they call it? The fountain of youth is what people call it, you know? That you never grow old, that you never age, that you live forever. And this is one of these situations where you're going to get that. There will come a point in time on this earth where you're going to sort of get that proverbial your invincibility where you're not going to die. But believe me, nobody's going to want that. 
At this point, everybody's going to want to die because of the pain. Death will be a whole lot easier than the pain that's being experienced, right? It will be just significantly easier than the pain that's going on for them right now, but they're not going to be able to find death. Death will be the comfort. They're only going to, they could only hope to die because of how horrible this type of pain is going to be. This type of torture, this type of judgment. That's kind of an ugly picture, isn't it? I mean, where things are so bad for you that the only thing you want to do is die. And then when you try to kill yourself, when you tried to die, you realize you can't do it. All you do is just simply add to your pain. I mean, how many times, think about this. How many times would you try to kill yourself before you realize you better stop because all it's going to do is add to your pain and you're not going to die. I mean, think about that. Think about that kind of judgment, what that actually would look like where somebody is in such excruciating pain that they say, okay, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to try and kill myself. They try to kill themselves and they're unsuccessful. Can you imagine what that must feel like, what that's going to look like? I can't imagine, I don't want to imagine, and I don't have to imagine because I'm not going to be here. (laughs) But uh, to say the least, it's not going to be a pleasant time. It's not going to be a fun time, right? Look at this. We get a description here of these locusts. It says, and the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold and uh, their faces were as faces of men and they had uh, hair as the hair of women and teeth as the teeth of lions and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle and they had tails like unto scorpions and there were stings in their tails and their power was to hurt men five months. Now, um, again, we look at this and we see these descriptions that are written and people make a considerable amount of assumption with the descriptions that are written. If you remember, like I said before, you do have the issue of language here. And, and we've, ha- we've talked about the language issue uh, many times. Uh, not necessarily within the context of the book of Revelation. We've talked about it a few times. But there are some distinct language problems that exist when we translate Bible texts. Right? And you have to understand that. Okay? First of all, you're talking about a text that exists that are thousands and thousands of years old. Okay, and you have to understand that language transitions uh, very, very quickly. Sometimes language can transition within the next, you know, within you know a five-year period. Sometimes language can transition within a ten-year period or twenty-year period. But language transitions pretty quickly, and sometimes it completely changes within periods that short. For example, there are phrases that we would say today that if you said those phrases twenty years ago or twenty-five years ago, no one in the world would be able to identify what you were talking about. Right? And some of you might say, oh, come on, that's not true. That's crazy. What do you mean there are, there are phrases that we would say today in the English language that you wouldn't be able to say 25 years ago? Well, there's plenty of them, right? How about this? Let's talk about a mainstream phrase that nobody in their right mind would be able to understand even in the early 90s. Heck, they wouldn't understand it in the late 90s. They wouldn't understand it in the early 2000s. It's a common phrase that's being shouted out today, especially in the media. Well, everybody, the president tweeted again. Right? Right? Could anybody understand what that, could anybody be able to understand what that meant 15 years ago, 20 years ago? No way. 
You said that 15, 20 years ago. You know what they would think they were talking? Oh, the president, did he let go of gas? Is that what they're talking about? Like, what does tweeted mean, you know? What, 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 what does that mean? He was tweeting. Uh, we've never, and I always laugh. Uh, I always laugh at fake news when they just talk about, no, don't get me wrong. Look, you could believe what you want about the president, but let's just be honest about things, right? Isn't it amazing to me when they jump on and they say, never in U.S. history have we ever seen the president go on Twitter and start tweeting. Yeah, never in U.S. history have we seen Twitter exist when president have existed you know what i mean i mean it's just funny how, how how we sort of make up these crazy things and we go extreme and we make up all of our rules. Uh, okay i'm going on a tangent but anyway language changes doesn't it it completely changes it, and it and it does depending on the way when technology changes language changes when circumstance changes uh you know uh, uh speech changes all kinds of things that we would say today that people would never be able to understand even uh 25 or 30 years ago i mean think about this hey bro i emailed you that info did you get it okay if you said that to somebody 25 years ago they wouldn't understand what you were saying they have no idea what email is I mean, what is that short for? Uh, does that mean Etna mail? Does that mean Edward mail? I mean, what is email? You know, they would never think that it would refer to electronic mail. And even if they referred to it, even if they knew that it referred to electronic mail, they'd have no idea what electronic mail was because they've never seen it before in their lives, right? So you've got the problem with time. Time can dramatically change language, right? And that in and of itself is a massive barrier. Uh, a, a great example of this and, and how the practical way this practically applies in the Bible is when you read the King James language, right? You read the these and thous and those and thuses and so on and so forth. And most people will never be able to correctly read a King James Bible because they don't understand Elizabethan English. So it's kind of foolish to demand that people be spiritual by continuing to read a King James Bible. That's just dumb. It's just foolishness, right? It's just, it doesn't even make sense. We've got such great translations out there. There's lots of other translations that use modern day language. And if you insist on sticking with the King James series, then go with the new King James. It's a great translation. It's wonderful. Perfectly acceptable to be able to read it. But you've got that issue. And then you've got many, many other issues. You've got the issue of, you know, things being described within the Bible, right? That not, don't make sense to us because it's been so long since those things have even been an issue that we can't identify it. There's Phrases that are used in the Bible that, that talk about certain things that we would never be able to understand because so many years have gone by. We're far removed from the culture. We've never seen that side of the world before. And so when we hear certain things being said or certain phrases being said, it could be significantly difficult. How about this? How about the problem that exists when a guy is 2,000 years behind or 3,000 years behind? Let's just say 2,000 years behind just to be conservative. But 2,000 years is writing something 2,000 years behind the event that he actually sees. And let's say he sees something that's going on 2,000 years later and he is seeing things that he has never, ever seen before in his life. How does a guy describe a helicopter that has never seen a helicopter a day in his life? How does a guy, and by the way, it's not because it's never, uh, uh, not because he's never seen one and he's in a different region in the world where he's never seen one. How about the fact that it's never existed? There is no such thing as the existence of a helicopter. They've never seen machinery like that, right? Can you imagine what it would look like to a guy who was living on earth 2,000 years ago to even see something simple that we, that, that exists within the world today? What do you think it would look like to a guy who lived 2,000 years ago to walk into a building like the building we're sitting in right now 
that would look at the chairs the way they are, that would see the speakers. They would have no idea. They'd see all these wires and sticks. and th- th- I mean, he might be able to identify the guitar. They would call it the harp back then, right? But that'd probably be about the only identifiable thing that they would see. Everything else would be very much unidentifiable. The concept of carpet would not even uh, uh, be a thought process. There are so many different things, so many different ideas, so many different thought processes that, that, that he wouldn't even be able to contemplate based on the the way technology has changed and the way all those types of things have changed. And so in some cases in the book of Revelation, this will no doubt become a a real issue. This is definitely something that is significant. Is that one of the things that we're seeing right here? Probably not. I think that we're probably talking about still natural creatures here. And there's a lot of reasons why we're probably talking about natural creatures here. But nonetheless, you you have to understand, John is overwhelmed by everything that he's seeing and 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 his attempt at trying to describe everything that he's seeing is got to be just insanely crazy right either way no matter how you look at it no matter how you want to cut it john is still looking at things that the human eye has never seen right so just because he's not looking at modern technology, he may not be looking at a, uh, you know, an airplane or a helicopter or something, but he's certainly looking at some kind of demonic creature that he's never been able to lay his eyes on. Okay, here's the aspect of this that you should be grasping when we read this. Do not try to assimilate the descriptors here that you read uh, and, and try to figure out. This is where people get lost in the book of Revelation. They they will look at this and they will try to say, well, is this a, a helicopter or is this a, a fighter jet or is this, a, you know, and people will try to sort of look at the characteristics. Oh, breastplate of iron. Oh, then that must mean that it was shielded by iron. It could have been, you know, a flying tank uh, or it could have been he could. Oh, he could. I've been seeing a CA-34 missile being launched from Russia. You know, all right, whatever, slow your roll, okay? Before you begin to think that way, before you begin to actually look at it that way, is it possible that you could consider the fact that John was looking at a demonic creature that he's never even seen before? And if you do understand it that way, the bigger picture here isn't what it is that he's describing. The bigger picture is how horrific it is. That he's looking at, right? The picture is he's looking at something that is horrific. He's looking at something that each and every single one of us would look at and would probably absolutely freak out. Now, if we saw it in a commercial or we saw it in a, uh, what do they call these in these, what do they call the Japanese cartoons that are really popular where you see a lot of these types of creatures? Yeah, if it was one of these types of things, you know, kids have sort of become, uh, you know, innocuous to it. It's not a real big deal when they see these types of things. But truth be told, if you see one of those things coming at you, you think it would have a whole different meaning or a whole different picture, or a whole different idea? Yeah, I think so, right? It's, it, it carries on a different sort of a, a picture. And, and this is, I think, it's funny. This is sort of the danger of, of the modern day that we live in today, where everybody's going out and watching YouTube videos, and they're seeing the things that they're seeing. And, and, and when you watch a video of something, oftentimes it doesn't do it justice, because when it's in person and it's in your face, it's a whole lot more intimidating than when you're actually watching the video. You know what I'm talking about? You understand? I have watched so many, I gave you a perfect example. I've watched so many videos over the years, so many videos of air shows, you know, airplanes flying by and, 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 and you just think, oh, that's really cool. I've watched so many videos of, of, you know, the blue angels flying over that kind of a thing. It, 
It is. Uh, let me just tell you something. For those of you that have never seen it, those videos are worthless. They do not do any justice compared to when you're literally standing so close to one of these fighter jets that you can actually see the heads in the cockpit looking to the left and looking to the right while they're doing their maneuvers. There is nothing like the picture that that creates or there's nothing like the sound. The very first time you hear the sound of a fighter jet that's literally 200 feet away from you going 500 miles an hour. It's a very, very intimidating sound. And the thought that goes through my head as I'm thinking this is, man, can you imagine what it must be like to be in the Middle East right now and to see the fury of one of these fighter jets coming your way? That has to be a scary experience. If you're on the, if you're on, on the, on the enemy side, man, I would be scared to death as I was watching an F-35 coming my way. I would freak out. It would be intimidating. And so I, I think unfortunately what ends up happening is we listen to the, to the description of words and then we talk about these different mechanical, uh, variations of things and so on and so forth. And it sort of takes away the, the, the emphasis that the author is trying to make and what he's describing is he's describing these horrific creatures. And that's a thing that we're, that we're sort of missing, right? These are horrific creatures whose whole purpose is to come to attack you. Let's just say for just a second, let me, let me throw this your way. Let's just pretend we're not talking about anything mechanical here, which I don't think we really are, right? But let's just assume for a second, we're not talking about anything mechanical. You can capitulate to that fact or, or agree with me. You can yield to the fact that, you know what? This is not anything mechanical. Think of the description that's being given here. I'm going to read the description to you again. Listen to the description. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto the horses prepared unto battle, right? So they look like big horses, right? And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. That in and of itself would be a little freaky. I'd be a little freaked out to watch that, right? And they had hair as the hair of women, and and their teeth were as the teeth of lions, And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. So when they flap their wings, it's like (laughs) awful sound, right? And they had tails like unto scorpions and they, and, and there were stings in their tails and their power was to hurt men five months. Imagine seeing that thing come at you. Imagine the sheer horror of what that would actually look like. That is insanely crazy, right? Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic about the fact that this is a, a natural creature, right? But it, I very much think that it is based on uh, some of the context. Some of you might say, no, I think this is talking about a warbird. You know, this is talking about some kind of a machine in the air that's coming at John, and that, that may very well be, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but I'm, I lean more towards the fact that we're talking about a literal natural being here that we're talking about. And there's many reasons for that. I don't, uh, we, we really don't have the time to jump into uh, the, the various reasons, but I think for the most part, that's what we're talking about. And notice this, it says, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon, which again, uh, this, this speaks of torture. It, really, that's what the, that's what the name is. The representation is, uh, is torture. That's the representation. And that's a, a, just an awful, awful, awful picture. It says, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes hereafter. Well, after that first woe, I don't want to see the other two woes. You know what I'm talking about? 
You've just tried to kill yourself for several months and you can't even do that. You, I mean, could you imagine what it would, what it would be like to try to slash your wrist and it not do anything to you except inflict more pain? You still live or to pull a bullet in your chest and it not do anything to you because you still live because nothing is, you're not being allowed to kill yourself. Yeah, that's plenty of torture. I don't need any more woes. I don't need more. Uh, that first woe, that's more than enough. Don't need any more, right? Well, let's go into the other woes here. It says, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. By the way, these four angels, could they be the same angels that are in Revelation 7-1? Maybe, maybe not. I don't even think that that is a significant uh, issue, whether or not they are. Uh, I really don't have necessarily a view on on, e- on it either way. I'd probably lean towards the fact that we're talking about different angels. But uh, if you said that they were the same angels, we wouldn't have a fight. It's just one of these things that is a, uh, I don't even know that it's even significant. Here, I think what's significant is is what we're seeing, right? Is what we're is what we're watching. And, and by the way, it is interesting when we talked about these four horns on the altar of God. As you know, horns represent power, right? They represent authority. They represent uh, 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 almost a, a, a victorious kind of a stance. But in this context, it's it's going to be a whole lot uh, worse than than what these horns might seem to imply in the very beginning, right? So. It says this in verse 15. It says, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of man. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So they're prepared to slay another third. I I, I don't even know what to say to that. The sheer loss of humanity is horrible. I had this thought with Las Vegas as it happened last week. Um, when it happened, when the shooting actually took place, I was uh, doing my usual thing and I was up pretty late Sunday night. I had some things that I needed to get ready for, namely this conference that I had uh, yesterday and the day before. And so uh, it was around two o'clock or so and I figured, man, I was up at five and uh, it's time to sleep, you know? I, I need to go to bed. And so um, as I'm uh, getting up and getting ready to... Uh, go to the restroom the final time before I jump into bed. I see this, uh, you know, screen on that shows up that says, you know, shooting in Las Vegas. And I really don't think anything of it. I, I just think, oh, Fox News, why are they showing a shooting in Las Vegas? I mean, they, they, they assume that one guy is dead and a suspect is dead at a concert. No big deal. You know, and forgive me for saying it, but my, my thought process was, oh, who cares? This happens every day. And, and I didn't really think much of it, right, until I woke up the next morning. And I wake up the next morning and I begin to hear the facts coming in. Then I begin to hear, I have friends that are over there. Then I'm beginning to hear, I have friends from law enforcement that are over there. Then I'm beginning to get some numbers come my way. And at that time, what we knew in the morning hours of Monday was that approximately 25 people were dead. And we thought that the number that were injured we're about 70. And then within two hours, we come to realize, no, it's more like 50 people that are dead. And more like 300 people that are injured. Then by the time we get to the press conference, 
near the end of the day on Monday, we go to find out that it's almost 60 people dead. We don't count the suspect, right? 60 people dead and over 500 people injured. Wounded. Mostly wounded. Few people trampled that way, but the other ones wounded. And then we begin to unravel the sheer volume of gunfire that went on that night. We begin to develop a picture of how insanely crazy things actually got over there. The idea that some guy could set up a platform under two windows that he breaks and have high-powered rifles, 20-some-odd rifles up there, 23 or 24, with thousands and thousands of rounds of ammo, and with fully automatic fire, continue to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot for approximately 13 or 14 minutes down into a crowd of almost 30,000 people. I'm thinking in my head, even if he's three or 400 feet away, what kind of a human being would do something like that and not be able to sense, I don't know what you would call it, uh, like an ugliness, an overwhelmingness, uh, like uh, just a nastiness, uh, 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 I don't know what you would call it, but some emotion associated with the sheer loss of life. I mean, there are people that were there that witnessed this, that it's going to take them years to be able to get past this, if they ever do. Because imagine that they're standing in a crowd and around them they're just watching people just drop. Just drop. Hundreds of people drop. Conceivably, if you were in the right spot over there and you were one of the ones that weren't hit, you could have very easily watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people literally fall unconscious and you could have watched tons of people literally go right towards their death. How in the world could you not be affected by the sheer loss of life? How, how could you not be? It's an insane thought. Even if you were in war and you're in combat and in combat you're in the process of defending your country which is an honorable thing to do but in that process people are dying. Here's something they never thought about with the pilots that flew the airplanes that dropped bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. They never thought about the fact, and this is, this is why it was ever since that time they actually started doing counseling for uh, fighter pilots, right? And bomber pilots, you know? Because you think about it, one button, right? One button, one pull of a lever eliminates the lives of 500,000 people. Can you imagine? At least in a fighter jet, or at least in a bomber jet, if you're, if you're in, or you're in an airplane, when that type of thing happens, it almost feels like a video game and you're not in the midst of it and you're not seeing it. Imagine, imagine 500,000 people die from one action. One action. Okay, let's do a little bit of math. Let's be liberal and let's assume that there are 4 billion people left on the earth. Heck, you know what? I'll just do this. Let's assume there's 3 billion people left on the earth. 
Imagine one action takes place and a billion people are eliminated. They're dead, murdered, gone. Can you imagine? Even if you're one of the people that survive, do you really want to survive? Can you imagine what that does to you mentally? Can you imagine the the suffering that that creates, the pain and the anguish that that creates, being a part of that? The Bible tells us that these that these angels or that this angels being prepared, these angels are being prepared for a period of time to literally eliminate a third of the earth's population. That's a crazy thought. I mean, I would hope that all of us would be sensitive to the loss of life, right? But it, that has to be uh, like just deadening to you, to your brain. Your brain, our brains aren't made to take loss like that. We can't possibly begin to understand or imagine how significant that type of a situation would be. Let's look. Let's look and see what it, what it says. Let's move on. Now this is crazy. When we look at the number of the army of the horsemen, it says in verse sixteen. It says that the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand. Thousand, and I heard a number of them. By the way, 200,000 thousand would equate to 200, ready? Million. 200 million. That's an army of 200 million. Now, I, uh, I don't know if we even could imagine. I don't even know, even on earth today, if we can imagine what an army of 200 million looks like. I think, didn't China, for a while, they, didn't they boast that they had an army of 200 million? You know, even if they had an army of 200 million, immobilization of that army, I think, would be, uh, would be significant. You know, the idea that this would be a human army is, uh, I don't know. I don't know how possible this, this could be. I don't even, I don't really, I really don't think it is possible. I think this is a, a, again, a supernatural army that we're talking about here, right? But an army of 200 million, that's substantial damage, isn't it? It's a big army. That's not a small army. That's a very, very large army. Anybody know what the number, the size of our army is right now, our armed forces? Is there an estimate? I think the, the last estimate I heard was, what is it? Three to five million? I, yeah, I heard something like that. I heard somebody say as high as maybe 15 million uh, it, with, with the reserves. Not active. Okay, so even with the reserves, we're still talking, but we probably wouldn't even hit 15 million, correct? That a, that a fair number? Yeah, oh, that'd be a stretch. Okay, so, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? You put, if you put every single army and every single human being that was involved in combat during World War II, and some of the losses that we had in World War II were significant, right? We're talking about massive losses in World War II. I don't think you would have hit that number. It's a crazy number. It's a staggering number. Okay, think of it this way. 200 million, an army the size of almost the population of the United States. Two-thirds of the population of the United States. I think the, the, the population number for the United States is, I think, 330 million, something like that. It's a big number. It's a big number. It can't even be fathomed here. So this is why I think that we're probably not talking about a, um, well, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's just a big number. It's just very, 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 very hard 
very, very hard number to sort of fathom here. And it says, And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire, of jacinth, of brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. Now can you imagine just how horrifying this kind of picture was? They're on these horses that are, that are doing this. I mean, that's just scary. That's just a, uh, you know, if you look at our wall to your left, uh, you know, and you see the head of something like that, uh, you know, coming at you, you know, and that's just one of them. You know, not 200 million. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I can't imagine. It's just a, that's a, a crazy picture that we see. Very, very crazy picture. Verse 18. Um, by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouth. So, uh, you know, some died by a fire, some died by smoke, some died by brimstone. This could mean that they died by a combination of it, right? Fire, smoke, brimstone, but uh, just horrible death, right? Verse 19, for their power is in their mouth and their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents had and had heads and with them they do hurt. I don't know, I, I think about... Uh, if the Lord doesn't take me home, you know, what way uh, I, I think I'd prefer to die. I think for me, I think if, if I were going to die, I'd probably want to die in my sleep, you know, right? So you just go to bed, you don't know that anything's going to happen, and you wake up in heaven. That's a cool, I'd like, that's a nice, that's a good bargain. I'd like to have that deal, right? But you think about different ways to die. I could think about different ways not to die. This would be one way I would not want to die, right? I would not want to die this way. I just wouldn't. I, I, I would take a bad plane crash before I would take something like this. I, it would not be a fun way to actually die here, right? And to the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they, of their murders, nor of their sorcerers, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Now, this is the part that I think we need to talk about here for just a second. We need to have a conversation about this. And this is a, this is kind of a, I, I, I have people all the time that will come to me and they will say, you know what, Pastor James, uh, I think you're right about the things that you're saying and I believe you. And I think Bible prophecy is something that's probably true. And, you know, there's lots of evidence for it and so on and so forth. But here's the deal, man. If I, uh, if you get raptured and I know that you guys will get raptured, I'll know what's going on. I just won't accept the mark of the beast. Okay. Let's assume, let's just assume that you survive long enough to get to the great tribulation. Let's assume the first three and a half years you skate through. Let's even assume that you skate through probably, you know, the first six months of the last three and a half year period. This world population, two thirds of the world's population just witnessed a third of its population be eliminated. And the Bible tells us they still didn't repent. What makes you think you're going to repent? What makes you think you're going to get right? God is good at something. Let me tell you what God is good at doing. He's good at doing something I'm not so good at doing. See, as a pastor, I watch people make decisions that are detrimental to their lives every day. 
and I can't resist but to kick, yell, and scream at them to keep them from making that decision. I'll grab them by the neck if I have to. I'll get on them. I'll I'll just go crazy. Stop it. I can't resist. I have to be the guy that tells somebody they're erring. It's just a flaw. God is good at this. Let me tell you what God is good at doing. God is good at saying, okay, you're doing that? No, please don't do that. Still doing it? No, please don't do that. You're still doing it? I'm commanding you not to do that. You're still doing it? Okay, I'm going to allow some things to happen in your life that hopefully will wake you up so you stop doing it. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, you're still doing it? Okay, I'm going to send a few more traumatic events that might wake you up. Oh, you're still doing it? Okay, I'm going to harden your heart. I am going to make your position firm. You decided, I'm going to simply honor what you decided by making you stuck on it. Right? The horrible part about that is when people get to the point where God says, I'm going to honor your heart and heart, they oftentimes get to that point to the tale of their destruction. So, the bigger picture involved in this is salvation. You want to keep hardening your heart? Keep hardening your heart? Keep hardening your heart? There's going to come a point in time where God's going to just simply say, okay, you've hardened your heart enough times, I'm going to honor the position of your heart. For Christians, you're going to keep hardening your heart, keep hardening your heart, keep hardening your heart? Okay, I'm going to honor you in doing it, and you are going to live a nominal life. You're just going to simply, that's it. You're, you're, you call yourself a believer, but you're not living like a believer. And you're hardening your heart like Pharaoh. Yeah, okay, you know what? I am going to allow your heart to be hard just the way you want it. What do you think happens? Do you honestly think that you're going to be in a place when you're better off then two-thirds of the world population who just watched a third of its comrades be killed and still not repent, you think you're going to beat those odds? I'd be willing to bet you're not going to beat those odds. I'd be willing to bet that you, if you haven't already accepted the mark of the beast, you will march in that army that says, I hate you, God, and you will not turn away from it because the position of your heart will be hardened. This is precisely the reason why I tell people Time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. You need to get your life right with God now. If you're a believer and you've been walking with the Lord for a while and there's areas of your heart that you're hardening, you need to stop hardening those areas of your heart. You need to open up your heart and you need to allow your heart to be softened, to hear the voice of God, because there's going to come a point in time where God's going to say, okay, that's what you want to do. Guess what? I'm going to let you have it. And I see it. Time and time and time and time and time again. My prayer for us 
is that we would learn the example from what we know is going to take place in the future and not be the type of people who allow our hearts to be hardened, who, who are not, we don't want to be the type of people that put ourselves in the position in which we look at something and we say, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know what, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to have this view and this is the way it's going to be. And God, God eventually is going to say, okay, you want to dig in? Guess what? You're, you know what? Here you go. Here's the, here's what it is. I'm going to let you dig in. And the more and more and more and more you do, the more and more I'm going to honor it. And the more and more you're going to allow it to go toward your destruction. Look, guys, my prayer is this. My prayer is that we would have soft, moldable, malleable hearts. I don't ever want us to be part of that story, right? I'm convinced and I hope and I pray that each and every single one of us in the body of Christ today that, that I'm talking to, we've already made the decisions necessary to even prevent us from being in the position that we're reading about right here. But there is another area that I'm fearful of and the area that I'm fearful of is the area of your own personal walk with God right now that you would not resist him, that you would not continue to be in a position where you're going to say, you know better or, oh, I'll wait till I get a little older or all of those types of things, Right? And this is something that we see happening on a regular basis. We see this. We, we have this sense that nothing's going to happen to us. And so we harden our hearts even more. And we take greater risks because we don't think it can happen to us. Just think about it. Why do you think insurance companies dramatically lower the price of insurance after a person is 25 years of age? Ever wonder why that's the case? Everybody says, well, because kids are stupid, you know, and they do stupid things. Well, that might kind of be true. But you know what really is going on? Most people don't make this connection. But the researchers that set these ages do. Here's the deal. Up until about the age of between 23 to 25, the little mechanism that's in your brain that recognizes fear, right? That recognizes danger and gets fearful isn't developed yet. And you know the reason why it's not developed? It's not developed because those people typically don't have enough life experience to be able to develop those mechanisms. And so thus they end up doing dumber things, right? Oh, nothing's going to hurt me. You know what? I've never flown in a flight suit, but I'm going to jump out of an airplane anyway and see if it works, you know? And these kids do that. Their faces are all mangled and, you know, whatever. That's if they live, you know? Or, you know, these kids that are... Uh, doing these things where they're getting in these super fast cars and going extremely crazy and doing some dumb things there that way or, you know, doing the ghost ride the car and all the other crazy things that these kids do. Look, they do this kind of stuff because truth be told, bottom line is they don't have that mechanism built within them that says, okay, I better watch out. And I think that when we continue to harden our heart, we are doing the same thing that happens with those young kids. We are continuing to avoid and deny the mechanism that says, I'm going to recognize here that what I'm doing is dangerous for me spiritually. I'm going to, you know what? I'm not going to do this because it's dangerous for me. You know what we continue to do? We continue to do these horrible things that just continue to just literally speak into the destruction of our lives. And my prayer is that we would watch something like this and say, no, not for me. I'm not doing that. I'm not going in that direction. I'm not going to play in that direction. Look, Lord, I messed up here. Lord, I need to focus on you so that I don't want to, I don't want to be a person who hardens my heart enough to say, you know what? I, I know that what I did was wrong, but I'm going to do it again because I don't care. I want to feel good more than I want to actually get right. Or I want to feel good more than I actually want to, uh, more than I actually want to deal with something. Or how about this? How about in marriage? I see this all the time. Husband and wife, 
wife do this to each other all the time. Yeah, but you don't understand. He's so hard-hearted and he did this and he did that. Or you don't understand. She's always this way. You know, and what do you do? You harden your heart and you, you harden your position and you say, well, you know what? You know, I'm just going to feel because they're just wrong and I'm right. And there's no way in the world I'm going to yield to telling them that I'm wrong. Okay, great. Keep doing that. Let's see how you like your life. Let's see how life becomes when you continue to harden your heart before the Lord. Right? I've always said this. The true test of spirituality in a person is how well they yield to the voice of God when things are not going well versus when things are going well. Right? In other words, God, I praise you because all of this is going good. Well, that's easy to do, isn't it? Right? But what about when you're tempted to do evil? What about you when you know you're at that cusp that if you keep going in this direction, you're going to harden your heart because it's going to get easier and easier and easier. Are you going to do the more difficult thing? Or are you just going to simply say, you know what, I don't care anymore. I'm just, I'm just going to continue to live my life. May it never be that you end up being in the place of that level of the hardening of hearts. By the way, this, all this shows us in Revelation is that human beings are capable of some very, very dark things, aren't they? that they would still not repent even after looking at the judgment of God, knowing the goodness of God and knowing the fact that God allows room for people to repent and change so that he could change their lives. May it never be said of us, guys. May our hearts be malleable. May our hearts be pliable. May it be with our hearts that we're always open to the voice of God, that we're always seeking the direction of God, the wisdom of God, the discernment of God, that the decisions that we make in our lives would always be pleasing to God. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And um, Lord, we, uh, oh, Lord, I, in my heart of hearts, Lord, I think of this, of this story, Lord. I think of the, the craziness that, that goes on of what we know is going to happen in the future. And this is a true story. This is something that's really going to happen. And, and I just ask, Lord, that you would allow us to be able to, to learn from this, that we would not be people whose hearts are hard. Lord, I, I have had a series of days where I know in my own heart I've been confronted with the idea of just hardening myself, you know, of just just being angry and just walking in resentment. But Lord, may that always be far from me, Lord. May it always be far from us that we would be people who who we look at what you are doing, Lord, that we look at the process that's going on, Lord, all over the world. That we would see your hand moving across the hearts and the lives of people and that we would seek to be a part of that hand, Lord. Help us to get right, Lord. Help us to not harden our hearts, Lord. We want to be hardened in the position of righteousness, not hardened in the position of evil. So may that be the case. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.